when you're young, you always think you want to be like a leader, whatever that leader means, you want to manage people. And then when you're in it, you actually see sometimes, again, thinking maybe from a kind of monetary perspective, actually maybe you're best not being a leader. But ultimately for me, I've seen people work for me, grow and be really successful in their careers. And that gives me as much joy as my own personal success. Welcome to the latest episode of Tech Selfcraft with uh, me, your host, James Hounslow. Um, and today I'm really excited. We've got Chris Kellner on the show. Chris, how are you doing today? Very good, thank you. Awesome. Chris, appreciate you taking time to, uh, to join us. Wanted to have you on the show to discuss through a couple of bits. One, you started life out in banking and you moved through into tech and you are a CRO, having joined the company as an AE and gone on an awesome growth journey through to leading the, the sales business. But as a way of getting started, as always, if you could just give us our audience just a brief, a brief background as to who you are. Firstly, thank you very much for having me. Yes, I'm currently CRO at Digital Genius. Digital Genius is an AI and automation platform built specifically for e-commerce, supporting the likes of Selfridges, on running Reebok with their customer experience. I guess I've taken a little bit of the untraditional path over the last seven years, joining Digital Genius extremely early on. Kind of it was the first commercial hire when the company was around about 10 people and I've helped to build that up where I'm now the CRO, responsible for, for a kind of team of marketing, partnership, business development, sales. Previously to that, I did a startup in something completely different, consumer electronics and Previously to that, I was in investment banking on a trading floor selling bonds. So quite an interesting journey to where I am today. I would, would like to go right back to that, to the, to the start. So you obviously went to university and you thought you were going to be in banking was your way forward. So what made you get into banking and what made you exit fairly early? Yeah, so it was a typical path where I went to Nottingham and studied finance. Now I did a master's in investment management. Back, kind of family background was in finance and I guess if you go back quite a long time ago now like more than 10 years that was probably an industry where graduates wanted to go because that's where they saw was the big biggest potential to earn the most amount of money so I joined on on kind of a trading floor and fortuitous to me I think I joined at the worst possible time so that was the credit crisis of 2008 yeah. where it's probably the worst possible time to be in banking and I think through my journey which it was about a year and a half, two years. The one thing I really disliked about my job there was ultimately you didn't have any control over your day-to-day. -day. It was so dependent on the macroeconomic climate. I remember just every day you'd come to work and you'd be like, not much is going on today. How come? Because and it was something that was completely out of your control. So you didn't really have much effect in terms of how you could affect your day-to-day. -day. If things weren't going well, there wasn't really much you could do about it. Even though you were in there for a short period of time, you still learn a huge amount. And what are you using today, process orientated wise? Also, what I find through talking to people who come from a banking background is an eye for detail. What are you still using today in your leadership role that you picked up in that, that first uh, job? Yeah, it's, it's really good questions. I think I probably think first thing is experience doing cold sales. In yeah. any sales role, right? Uh, I had to do a lot of cold sales in quite a ruthless environment. Uh, I was actually put on, I remember, on the desk dealing with the worst type of clients. So I think cold sales is always really useful in any job you do, even if you have your own business, I'd say number one. 
Number two is resilience. It's it was very tough. It was in the years where people were effing and blinding all the time to each other, especially the junior on the floor. So build up resilience very quickly and able to deal with challenging environments. And I think that's a good, that's a really good point, actually, attention to detail. You're right. If you did make a mistake, and I remember I made a couple of mistakes, you'd go home sick in your stomach that you'd cost someone in your organization probably millions of dollars. And actually, I really have that as a strong work ethic for my whole team. Attention to detail. I really am not happy when someone sends something out or someone publishes something and it has an obvious mistake. So I think those are probably the points that, that I would take. And probably the last thing actually is, the ability to converse and work with people pretty experienced, yeah. pretty much older than me from a very early, early stage in my career, which has been really useful in all the jobs that I've done. It's something that I see again and again from people coming from that banking side. And I think in sales, it's it, you can sometimes people are just like, I've got the verbal, I can get something, but actually detail and, and looking into what you're actually doing and the stuff that you're sending out, it can be that 1% in the difference so you decided that banking wasn't for you and and you decided to move on what was your thinking behind that and when did you decide that maybe banking wasn't the future for you i was fortuitous i got kicked out so that was the first thing so i I had to make a choice and then i was like oh startups sound cool yeah i didn't really have any idea about startups or at that point and i just randomly was introduced to someone who had this cool idea of it was if you go back like over 10 years it was like basically whether you didn't pay for roaming when you traveled the world it was like a very again very early stage concept and i was like it, it had huge ambition because it was a product that could crack huge enterprise problems all around the world in all the industries and i remember interesting story like my first task in about month one the, the ceo came to me and was like uh, i've got a job for you i was obviously the most junior person in the team like Basically, it was a, you need to fly around the world in three days because you need to test the device in Australia and in, in America. And you need to basically leave all of those territories as well. And you need to get back to London as quickly as possible because once you say it's working, we're going to launch. And obviously at the time, the company didn't have very much money. So it wasn't like a particularly glamorous way to travel. But I had to basically go from London to Sydney via New Zealand and then wow. all the way back via LA in three days. Oh my God, what was that like? See, so long ago now, I don't. Just, right. I remember I had one night, so I only was able to spend one night away, and that was in Sydney, and it was raining. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I couldn't do very much there. Wow. So you stayed there, you built this, this company up, you did very well. What did you learn within this organization? Yeah, I, was- I think I learned, learned two things. How to take new technology into enterprise clients. Like we had Facebook, Goldman Sachs, like, like big enterprise clients. And obviously no one knew who we were. Yeah. And they had this concept. We were quite lucky. We had a physical device. When you have something physical, it's always a bit easier because you can leave it behind and yeah. create a bit of demand that way. And that was first. And then we pivoted to focus on partnerships. And what I do now a lot is a lot on partnerships. And that helped me a lot in, that, in terms of we actually... The, the big proposition for us was because we had a SIM card, but we're, like, oh, we're going to sell it at the point of purchase under the brand of like a big retailer. So we did big deals with Sims, MediaMark, Barclays, all these different companies where we would then sell under their brand. So it was good exposure to understand how do you develop a successful partnership program in using leveraging others' brands to kind of get to your own customer. And so I guess this started to tick boxes in the fact that you were able to control everything you're doing each day. 
entrepreneurial and coming up with new ideas about how you get this tech in front of people and then how you scale it. So how did that, where did that business grow to? Uh, when did you decide that it was time to, to move on? Yeah, I think it, it got to a point where it had a few million in turnover, but that kind of that value proposition of like global roaming was starting to fall away. So it was time for a fresh start and then was looking for a job and randomly stumbled upon an AI company where again, like six, seven years ago, most people would have had to Google what AI was. Yeah. So just stumbled upon this interesting startup that again had huge ambitions and seemed like it had an interesting value proposition. Met the founder, we clicked quite quickly. And yeah, and, and interestingly enough, in that job, it was quite a small company. My boss hired me, he was like the president. And then suddenly on day two, he was like, I'm actually moving to San Francisco. So you're just going to be in London on your own. So just get on with it. So correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong on this, but you've been hired into two roles where you've done extremely well. Whereas if the leaders had hired on experience and knowledge, you wouldn't have got the job. Yeah, exactly. So why do you think you were offered the, the job where you are? There's one key element. There's when I talk to, to, to founders about hiring salespeople, there's, there's characteristics that you need to look for. And I have two non-negotiables on characters that I think most people should have intelligence and work ethic. And you're clearly intelligent and because you can pick stuff up and you can learn like no one's born an expert in something and if you hire intelligent people they can pick it up what what do you think the the the, the founder who also then jetted off to, to san francisco what did he see in you to say why am i why am i going to give you a chance because you're the first commercial person on so mm -hmm. this is a big risk what what do you think he saw in you i think i was quite lucky actually if i go back he was very much kind of an inspirational founder yeah. um, in the sense of telling a story, but again, had no experience yeah. in, this was, I think maybe his first or second startup. So I had no experience in scaling B2B SaaS. At the time, probably seven years ago, not many people did. I think he probably saw a lot of me and him going to get shit done, basically. Yeah. Would go the extra mile to get shit done. And, and I think it was probably quite fortuitous, his lucky timing more than anything. What, what do you think, though, helped from the fact that you'd been somewhere and built something where you've been selling something that no one really knew about no one knew of you what did you take from that experience that helped you going in and working in a startup again selling something that people are not familiar with at all and getting them to buy it successfully yeah i think when selling kind of new tech to big businesses as a startup which no one throws up i think there's two major things which are important one is just selling a story which is very different to imagine you come in as a seasoned sales professional where yeah. you have a team around you and you're following a process you've got a, you're selling a story not really a product i think probably number one number two having a network or knowing how to access a network is probably important leveraging connections or investors or whatever that might be in really understanding how to leverage those connections to, to drive a wider network. Yeah. Um, and you've gone in there as an AE. How did you find that? How much, how quickly did it take you to get traction and start building out? Yeah, I think, again, it was coming in with no experience in B2B SaaS. Yeah. It was quite fortuitous that we did have a really interesting value proposition and we had one or two customers. We had something that everyone was very happy to listen to. We actually had a good PR engine at the beginning as well. 
yeah. and quite a good network helped for our investors. It was very much like startup sales, pitching up at a, doing everything you can do to get in front of someone wherever they are in the world. And we were traveling like all the time and just pitching this concept and idea and just getting customers in, not worrying, worrying too much about contracts or, or contract lengths or even how much they're paying. It was about getting big logos into the business and then working really closely with them to make sure the projects went well. And obviously at the beginning, projects took way longer than expected. A lot of them didn't go well, but we were able to build strong relationships, which is always critical as a startup when you're selling to your first few customers. Yeah. So the bit there that you mentioned there, building rapport, building trust with the clients and the people who were dealing there was stronger than the fact that the technology wasn't always working or wasn't always doing what you were hoping it was going to do. How did you get that rapport and, and that relationship? Because particularly in, in a world today where people are hiding behind Zoom and doing lots of meetings on, on, on Zoom, how did you get that faith? Those people, bear in mind, you weren't an expert in what you yeah. were doing as well. In the um, yeah, I think actually going back to my previous experience helped helpful there. So I remember my days in, in banking, we used to like twice a week, we were out, we used to have a selection of all the restaurants we used to go into London, we were out. Yeah. talking to these people which were like three times my age yeah whining and dining them and then in, in my job after that again it was very relationship driven because we were dealing with some very kind of senior board level type german companies and it was very relationship driven same thing to be honest taking the same to digital genius very much building relationships making the effort to fly to them taking them for lunch taking them for dinner and just that was probably the key rather than being an expert at the time because it was very difficult to be an expert when it was all so new for sure so you were the first person in you're now the cro what's your team size look like now so in those kind of nine years where are you at um, yeah. yeah we've had quite an unvent unconventional story where digital genius has been two companies in one in the sense that so i joined we grew we raised series a like quite a big raise at the time of more than 20 million dollars we blew up quite quickly but we didn't have product market fit so we had to downsize quite quickly from all the way out went up to 70 people all the way down to nine at one point and then the company now which is focused on e-commerce started again almost three or four years ago and we've now grown the company to in a more, more sustainable way so not looking to become huge actually much more looking to really use our resources wise and keep us close to break even grown now to like more than 40 people i have a team of about 11 people under me but we've, it's been very up and down but over the last three years we've been very much on an upward curve where business is growing really fast and, and we can manage to stay pretty close to sustainability as well that's good product market fit is such an incredible important part of of the growth and, and it's going and there's so many people that you're here now and, and talking actually steady growth particularly in today's market is definitely a, a much better than you talk to you're, you're almost like your founders like a second time founder. We've done that actually. We live to tell the tale on what to do and we actually can grow back in the right way. It's a very familiar path for businesses trying to grow and trying to find their way. When did you realize that you might be, A, want to be a leader and to be quite good at it? Yeah, I think throughout my whole career, actually, I guess that's, it's traditional. It's funny, it's funny actually for, it's, it's the path when you're younger, you can, you always think you want to be like a leader, whatever that leader means, you want to manage people. And then when you're in it, you actually see sometimes, again, thinking maybe from a kind of monetary perspective, actually, maybe you're better not being a leader. But ultimately, for me, I've seen people work for me grow and be really successful in their careers. And that gives me as much 
joy as my own personal success. So I think that, and, and it's, a, it's also from a responsibility perspective, working through actually your decisions are ultimately yeah. determine the success of the business and working at a much more strategic kind of board level, having those conversations. So one of the biggest challenges for sales leaders is hiring and identifying talent. You've been hired by two people that have identified some top talent in yourself and you've made things extremely successful in, in, in the roles that you've done. When going into to hiring, what have you learned in being able to know what you're looking for and then being able to identify if that person has what you're looking for? Yeah, and, it's, uh, and I think actually it's probably changed over the last few years as the industry has become more mature. And I think now I would say when I'm hiring, ultimately we're still a small company. So number one, we need to find someone who's suited to working in a startup, who is very proactive, who is resilient, who is happy just to basically go and get shit done. The worst trait in people that I've learned to work for me is always to find excuses of why things are not going well. And as long as, you work, as, long as you've got a good product and you've got a product someone wants, there is no excuse for someone in a customer facing role. And, and that's the type of person that I'm looking for, someone that is able to go and get shit done. And then the obvious things is coachable. Salespeople can often come across as the one trait that often we have, which people don't like, is maybe being a bit overconfident and arrogant, I think. And that is one of the traits I hate. <laughs> so again, that's a critical thing that I would always look to understand when I'm interviewing someone. So particularly that resilience part and the person who's just going to go and get stuff done, how do you identify that? in your interview process is there a set of questions you use to test people to find out if they've got that yeah i think often i just lean on experience and maybe it's actually not work experience maybe it's personal i think a lot of people in a sales role in tech have had not the most straightforward background to get there yeah. uh, maybe moving from another country maybe not having a kind of an ideal education whatever it might be i think they've probably had to go the extra mile to get yeah. there. And I think that there's so much knowledge outside on the, for, for the job that we do. There's so much knowledge, external knowledge on the internet. You don't need to have had a top tier education to be good at the job. I think that is, that is important. Have they, has there been resilient to the role? So I think always working at a startup, if you're successful, you have to be resilient because you're dealing with a load of no's. Nine no's probably to one yes, could be 90 no's to 10, could, could be much 9% to 1%. I think that that is, kind of the key things and then always looking for competitive people because that kind of I think breeds resilience as well those are probably the three areas that I would highlight so what's it like as a being a CRO in a business that you were an AE at and what advice would you give to anybody who's been an AE on the ground first AE in there who wants to climb through to being a, a CRO or even just a VP of sales and not have their founder go out and, and bring someone in to, to take on that position. What have you found from your experience of advice that you would give to someone wanting to take a similar path? Yeah, I think number one, you have to be a top performer, no doubt, right? If anyone, I'd say that for people in my team when they're looking to go from an SCR to an AE role as well, you've, yeah. got to be, you've got to be a top performer. You've yeah. got to hit your targets and not just once, you've got to hit your targets probably for a year. You've got to be, you've got to be the top performer because in each step up, it gets a little bit more challenging and you need to have more about you to be successful. Yeah. I'd probably say that's number one. Number two, really taking time to learn. Again, there's so much out there. As I said before, I'm constantly learning. If it's from events, from podcasts, from reading stuff online, 
the world is moving at a rapid pace in what we do and we have to adapt. And that's the very different from being an AE to being a leader. As an yeah. AE, most of the time you are told what to do, or at least guided what to do. Yeah. As a leader, you've got to make that playbook, which is constantly evolving. So you've got to be forefront of everything that's going on in the industry. And that involves us consuming what's the trend, what's going on, but also tech as well, right? You've got to be in the forefront of tech. And, and, and be able to, to think, I think, again, the last thing I'd say as a salesperson, it's yeah. easy to, to get over fixated on your own performance. You've always got to, you've got to be able to prove you've got the best interest of the company at heart, because that's the difference between being a leader, again, versus an AE, who's typically majorly thinking about how much money they're going to earn. So yeah. I see those are probably the three things that I would highlight. And, and now you're in the role, how have you adapted your time? How did you become because let's face it the being a top AE in a startup is normally a very selfish kind of role because you need to get stuff done for yourself how did you adapt into putting other people first and being into more of a strategic player rather than the you've spent a number of years of just rolling your sleeves up and just getting it done yourself and now you're suddenly having to let someone else do it as it were. Yeah. And, and it's not easy, that transition, honestly, uh, it's in terms of where do you spend your time where ultimately your success is determined by revenue. And if you are, so if you, so that's, it's not easy. I think number one is recruitment. You've always got to be spending a little bit of time on recruitment, right? You ultimately, your success will be now much more determined on your team than on your personal performance. Yeah. So recruitment, number one, you've got to get that right. And you've got to spend time at it being smart with your time so making sure you have enough time to allocate to recruitment strategic but also you've still got to be in the weeds you've got to be in the deal that's maybe you managing some of the really big deals for the company or helping your team manage the deals i think you've got to make sure you leave time to be still talking to prospects talking to customers and still making sure you establish yourself as an expert not in your field of being a cro but as an expert in your industry that's probably what i'd say in terms of adapting and to the role and making sure you're spending enough time thinking on the bigger picture yeah that's all great advice and it's, it's great to see you come through there what advice would you give to other founders about giving people opportunity to grow through the business and what they should be doing to help nurture people to come through to be able to have a, a chris in their business leading the sales yeah i would say based on what i've seen and from talking to others I'm not, and also working some under some very inspirational leaders. I had one leader through my career at Digital Genius that was very highly renowned in the industry, used to work for Salesforce. I'd say a couple of things. Make sure, you know, you will, at different stages, there will be the right skill set and experience. And if you try and jump a few stages, it is chance to go wrong. Yeah. Number one, it's a warning. Number two, in terms of promoting from within, I think today in this world, I think actually there's, again, going back to what I said earlier, there's so much um, information out there that actually the, the world is moving so fast that if you invest in your top performers very early on in terms of making sure that they have access to training, content, events, whatever it may be, and they're constantly consuming external information, success at other companies, and then bringing that into your own company, and you're seeing that set of success, and that all relates to your long-term scale, that is a really good testing way to say, actually, we can promote someone from within and continue to invest in their development so that they can get those skills 
as you develop through the organization. And maybe at some point, at some point, you might need to bring in someone from the outside, but I, in my experience, it will be much later on. And maybe you're thinking about things, things really things like exit or when you're driving past $100 million, which is probably a little bit of a different approach to when you're on that journey to 10 or 250 million. Chris has been some really great stuff. We've now reached the the time which I said it would it would fly by. Well, we get to switch around and you get to ask the one question that you've always wanted to ask a recruiter. Put me on the spot and I'll do my best to to answer. Sure. And, and maybe this is one you get asked all the time. James, what would you say? What, what would be the one question when you're, in, I guess you spend a lot of your time interviewing candidates. Yeah. What would be the one question that you always ask that helps to guide you as if the candidate would be good for the role? Oh, great question. If I was, if I only had one question, identify it. What's your why? Mm-hmm. Um, great salespeople have their why, their reason that they're doing it, and they're very positive in when they're in when they're saying it. So, if I had one question, the why is what gets people up when, like, when you're looking for resilience, is what keeps people going when um, things are against them. It's what keeps people going when they've done really well. Uh, and they're not going to sit back and go, I've got a big paycheck uh, coming. I'm going to do it. Um, it what's, um, keeps them wanting to learn more to be better. So the, the why is the, is the motivation to the do. So a good why will, will, will let me identify if someone's going to be good or not. So I hope that answers that for you. Before I let you go back to, to the day job, um, because I know one of the things that most CROs will say is their time pool, <laughs> is what's next for you guys what's it's been obviously a challenging year for a lot of people but it'd be great to hear what you'll probably head down trying to work out what budgets and forecasts for 2024 looks like trying to hedge if if it's going to be slightly better than than this year or or much the same but what's next for you guys we're on a really exciting growth path right now helped with the whole buzz in ai and in e-commerce as well historically in e-commerce so really it's just how do we Put the accelerator down so start to really think about hyper growth but still with the in the back of our mind trying to close stay close to sustainability so still doing things in a careful way so still selecting where we want to make those investments well chris i really appreciate your time on this and and sharing your journey and the success that, that you've had i think it's a great journey you've gone on and with just a, a huge amount of success around that thank you very much for your time thank you james